Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I have the real pleasure to talk with the author of Polarized, Making Sense of Divided of a Divided America. The book was published by Princeton University Press in 2016, and the author is James Campbell. I have the real pleasure to have James Campbell on the phone with me right now. Jim, how are you doing? Very well, uh, and I'm delighted to be on your podcast. This is yeah, I, I couldn't be more happy to have, have read the book and then uh, met you for the first time at APSA. I've been so looking forward to having this conversation. Maybe you could just start us off with, with uh, telling us just a little bit about uh, where you are now and where you've been in the past. Give us a little bit of sense of who you are. Okay, where I am literally right now is uh, in on, on Peaks Island, Maine. Uh, I am a, a professor at the uh, University at Buffalo in SUNY, and I'm on research uh, leave this semester. Uh, we have a home on, on Peaks Island. I'm originally from Maine. I went to Bowdoin College and uh, Syracuse University for my graduate work, and then uh, uh, taught for um, a, a time at the University of Georgia in Athens, uh, then moved to uh, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, and took a couple years off there to um, be a program director at the National Science Foundation, and then uh, and I've been at University of Buffalo since 1998. Yeah, wonderful. It sounds like you're taking a, having a very enjoyable uh, research semester, and and it must be so pleasurable to have this interesting book out and read, and and uh, couldn't think of a more timely topic than the topic of polarization. Now, this is a phrase that gets thrown around so much, and and we're going to do that today in in our mm-hmm. conversation. But let's start on the very basic level. Uh, what is the definition of political polarization? What are we referring to? Before we get to some of the complexities, what is it? Well, I think it's um, conflict on um, political matters, perspectives, and uh, issues that is um, um, unidimensional. So it, it essentially it collapses into um, an us versus them kind of politics. And so there's uh, the intensity, the extremeness that's in- involved in polarization, but also um, the, um, the fact that it's not a, a cross-cutting um, a sense of conflict, um, you know, like a pluralistic uh, situation would, would, would be. So this is there's a collapsing of, of issues into this single dimension. And in American politics, that's the liberal to conservative um, um, spectrum. Now, um, as as you're already beginning to allude to, um, polariz- whether polarization has or has not happened, um, is it often has come down to the difficulty of measurement. Right. I wonder if you'd describe for us some of the major tools that we use to measure polarization. Well, Maybe before I get to that, I should mention polarization is a matter of degree, and this is one of the things that uh, has bothered me in, in how it's been treated in the in the past in the literature, as though it was an on or off switch that we're all polarized or all unpolarized. And I think it's it's, it's quite clear that you know we aren't all you know it's not totalitarian versus anarchists here. We have it's matters of degree uh, in uh, in polarization. 
and uh, so there's a variety of, of, of uh, getting to your question, there are a variety of um, uh, kinds of evidence that can be brought to bear on this. One is directly asking people to self-identify themselves as liberals or conservatives or, or moderates or and giving, giving them the option of saying they don't know. Uh, that's one kind of evidence that I examined. And we've seen a, um, about a, a, a majority of Americans classify themselves as either liberals or conservatives, and that's been growing over time. And the uh, a second piece of evidence are people's attitudes about the issues. And, um, and we haven't seen a, a, a growth of extremism on, in issue positions, but what we have seen is that um, people are more likely to, to, um, to hold liberal or conservative positions across a whole range of issues. That is, issue attitudes have become more highly correlated with one another. And it used to be the case that, you know, your allies on one set of issues might be your opponents on, on another. Now it's much more likely, again, that we, that we, we've simplified politics, polarization has simplified our political conflict to an us versus them. And that, of course, also intensifies the, the conflict in, in, at the same time. And the third piece of, uh, a third type of evidence that I looked at was what I call circumstantial evidence. It is there are a lot of things we, uh, we, we, we know for sure about American politics. And one of them is that the parties have become a good deal more polarized. A moderate public should have reacted to that in one way. A polarized public or a highly polarized public should have reacted to that in a different way. And so using things like uh, the change in party identification, the strength of party identification, uh, defection rates, uh, split-ticket voting, and turnout, you, we can see that, the again, the, the public has uh, is quite polarized and has become more so. Now, much of what you're describing has this temporal piece to it, a suggestion that something has happened so that we can compare wherever we are now to something in the past. What's the right time period to think about this question of polarization? Is there a, is there a unit that, that you think makes most sense and maybe that should be used, or is there a unit maybe that has been used that, that would be the wrong, either too short or too long? Well, I think the, the, the broader the better, um, because we, uh, I think part of the problem of some past research is that it essentially truncated um, the, uh, the amount of uh, period that was uh, being examined and therefore missed some early changes that were, were important. So I tried to, I tried to be very comprehensive and broad in, in my search for uh, use of, of evidence. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the evidence only goes back to the early 70s, the self-reported um, ideology measures and the, uh, a lot of the, the seven-point scale issue items only go back that far. This is where the circumstantial evidence can, can come into play and help broaden um, the horizon that we're, we're looking at. So, I, I, you know, what we've seen is that the, the American public was, by the, the um, ideology evidence, the issue evidence, and the circumstantial evidence, the public was fairly well polarized in the 19, early 1970s. And this is what you would expect historically. 
um, you know, the, the, the late 1960s was a very traumatic time for uh, in American politics. So it polarized a lot of people, and that just didn't fade away. Um, the parties didn't represent it very well at the time, and it took them a long time to 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 to, to sort of regear themselves or realign themselves so that they would would better represent it. So they uh, they came along later, and the public has become more polarized. Uh, with that uh, party realignment. Now, uh, briefly, before we get to the causes of polarization, I wonder if you could describe a bit, because you do so in the book, what are not the causes of polarization? There have been some uh, suggestions that, that, that a couple of things are the cause of, of our current level of polarization that you say just, just aren't right. Uh, would you briefly describe some of those? Right. Uh, I, you know, I think there's a, there's an idea that polarization has somehow been imposed on us, um, either by the system through uh, the electoral system, by um, gerrymandering or you know, different um, plurality rule systems and so forth, or that um, uh, political uh, contributors have been, you know, um, Pulling um, politicians further to the right and further to the left, and and manipulating the system, or that activists are involved, or even presidents. There have been a number of um, books written about um, um, presidents, George W. Bush, and also President Obama, uh, suggesting that they were responsible for polarization. And of course, you turn to the political media, you know the. Uh, Fox News versus MSNBC and so forth. I think these these were basically all of them um, were basically middlemen. That is, uh, they were uh, in part uh, made or, or have a, have some power because they are representing polarized constituencies. Uh, that they, you know, if there wasn't a, um, a conservative audience out there for Fox News, Fox News would have gone away, and Rush Limbaugh would have gone away. There was an audience for it, and uh, it you know it, it, it fuels both these these what I call the middlemen or agitators fuel polarization, but they aren't really the cause of it. They are really more of a uh, uh, they've been created by it, and then kind of our, our cheerleaders for it. Uh, as we move forward. Polarization of American politics is ultimately a, a democratic, um, uh, democratically caused or created. It's, it's reflecting public opinion. And, and in, that, uh, in that way, you refer in the book to the staggered party realignment and a two-step dance between the parties. Right. What do you mean by this? Well, what we what we've seen this goes back to um, I think a, a terrific book by uh, uh, Edward Carmines, Ted Carmines, and uh, Jim Stimson uh, called Issue Evolution, and uh, they found what I think of as kind of the Rosetta Stone of American politics, and that is in the, um, the in the 60s, between the late 50s and, and mid 60s, um, the Civil rights issues or, uh, have uh, that used to cross-cut the um, the basic uh, um, social welfare uh, dimension of the New Deal. That is, you had a, the, the Democratic Party was a more conservative party on civil rights in the 1950s. The, the Republican Party was the more liberal party. That 
change. Those two dimensions essentially collapsed into one in the um, in the um, in the in the, in the early uh, 1960s, and uh, that was a crucial part of this staggered realignment. Um, and so it was staggered in the sense that the the initial shift uh, favored the Democrats. You had Lyndon Johnson's landslide in 1964, uh, but the ultimate shift, of course, helped the Republicans uh, as, as the Republican Party eventually, over a long period of time, worked its way into the South. Uh, you know, back in the 1960s and 70s, and even into the 80s, uh, there was very uh, the, the the republican party in southern states was um, minuscule and um, and so if you were a uh, an ambitious politician uh a, a, young, a young person who wanted to to make uh, politics a career you went into the democratic party not into the republican party and so that slowed up the process you had a lot of of uh, conservative Democrats along with, um, in the South, along with uh, Northern liberal Democrats. They had a very heterogeneous party. And the same is true on the Republican side. And I think sometimes we miss that. There were a lot of liberal Northern um, Republicans and and more conservative Western uh, Republicans. And sort of this took a a long time, uh, really because of the the South, to... um, to uh, to break that um, kind of unstable, unsustainable condition of having um, liberals and conservatives within the same party, and so this sorting out or realignment process took uh, uh, quite a quite a long period of time, from the, really the 1960s up through the 1990s. But you make the argument that the 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 sorting didn't happen at the same time on the same side that that. Um, if I read the book right, the, the Democrats went first, and then the Republicans went next. Yeah. Is this what you mean by the two-step dance? Yes. And what we saw is that, you know, uh, between 19, and this again goes back to the uh, Issue Evolution book, um, uh, what we saw is between the late 50s and the late 60s, a, a massive change within the Democratic coalition uh, in the in the 50s. Um, Southern conservatives in, uh, who were Democrats uh, were able to counterbalance uh, liberal uh, non-Southerners within the Democratic Party. Because of liberal Democratic gains in, outside the South uh, from uh, the late 50s into the early 60s, uh, the, the balance of power uh, was was broken within the, the Democratic Party, and the, the Democrats were able to be a much more liberal party. Uh, African American voters, more liberal uh, Republicans in the North, and so forth, uh, came in under the Democratic tent. Um, and but Republicans weren't able to really uh, uh, take advantage of that for some time until they built essentially a Republican infrastructure in the in the South. And then, you know, later on when Newt Gingrich came along and you had the big breakthrough election in 1994, um, that was a, a, the second step in this, um, in this shift. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, sort of in conclusion about where we're at today. 
and the level of polarization within each of the parties defined in all sorts of different ways. What do you make of the asymmetric polarization argument that's out there? Uh, is that consistent with the story that you're telling in your book, or is the sort of do you come down a little bit differently than that than that working theory? All right. Oh, I, 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 I so the asymmetric argument is that uh, the Republicans have gone wild. You know that, that Republicans have gone way off to the right, and Democrats have maintained themselves as sort of a center-left party. And um, you know, Tom Mann and Norm Ornstein's uh, book uh, makes that case. You know, it, uh, I think the title of the book was "It's Even Worse Than It Looks." Uh, great title for a book, by the way. But mm-hmm. but but it's but I think they're mistaken, and I think the circumstantial evidence, and, and also if you look at the ADA and the ACU scores of members of Congress. Suggest a different uh, something else happened here, um, and that is you know, the, the the Republican Party had been the minority party. The Democrats were the majority party back in the fifties and sixties, and even into the eighties. Um, now they were the majority party because they were more centrist. You know, combining. Uh, Southern Democratic conservatives with Northern Democratic liberals made them the more centrist party. I mean, in, in an odd kind of way, uh, that that uh, kind of unholy alliance uh, was was moved that party closer to the center, and as a result, they dominated. And they controlled Congress, the House of Representatives, from the mid '60s all the way up to 1994. Uh, so they were centrist. The Republicans were more were further away from the political center and, and the minority as a result. Um, after the realignment, the parties are now near parity. Now you don't, so which means the Republicans gain ground. You don't gain ground in politics by moving further away from the center than your opponent is. So I think what happened here is that the Democrats moved further to the left and earlier, as in the two-step uh, staggered realignment we were just talking about, and uh, later on the Republicans went further to the right, and now they're equally distant. You know, they are polarized. The parties are more clearly homogeneous ideologically and more polarized than they, than they had been. But as a result of uh, actually the Democrats moving further away from the center, as they they shed the. Uh, uh, Southern Conservative Democratic part of the of the party, and Republicans uh, move further right, uh, but they're both about equally distant now. Now, where where the asymmetric um, argument I think has some merit is that Republicans have been behaving in at least at elite levels, but I'd say also in in in, um, in the public, they've been uh, more angry more um, maybe acting more dysfunctional I mean they've been you know shutting down the government and so forth and and I think what that reflects is a frustration uh, more than polarization it's not that the Republicans are that much further right than Democrats are left but that um, that Republicans are frustrated by not having uh, seen much of the fruit of, of, of winning elections and I think and you what you what they see is a center-right nation that's been governed to the center-left or even further for the last uh, two decades. And that, 
that builds up a frustration. And where we see this is that it's not it's a frustration not only taken out on Democrats and liberals, but it's a frustration taken out on their own party leaders. You know, John Boehner and the Republican establishment, and certainly this year we've we've seen it in, uh, very clearly with the rise of Donald Trump. And that's um, it's 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 anger. And it's and it's anger at not winning on policy uh, debates and sort of systematically losing. Even you know, they they can look all the way back to um, George H. W. Bush and reneging on his no new tax pledge, and all the way up to the Supreme Court twice um, with, with Justice Roberts uh, uh, bailing out uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, or Obamacare. And I think they, they, they see that their, their leadership has not been uh, representing them very well. And so that's Jim's that book, anger, not asymmetry and polarization. Yeah, the, the book is so interesting. Um, again, the title is Polarized, Making Sense of a Divided America. The book is published by Princeton University Press this year. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Heath. I enjoyed it.